Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Will you turn with me to Acts chapter 5 as we continue our journey through the book of Acts looking at the history of the early church, the history of the early church. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, running from verse 34 to verse 42. And today we're going to be talking about the honor of being dishonored. The honor of being dishonored. Acts 5, starting at verse 34. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. And commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should speak, that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. As I said, we are making our way through the book of Acts. Today we're talking about the honor of being dishonored. We're in a book within the book of books. And it's historical narrative or a story that describes a sequel of factual events. A story that describes a sequence and a sequel of factual events. And this story describes the birth and development of that which is commonly known as the church. We've covered topics since starting the book of Acts, as we've been going verse by verse and line upon line. We've covered topics like unity, power, boldness, and purity. The book of Acts picks up where the Gospels end. Where the Gospels begin with the birth of Christ and ends with the death and the resurrection of Christ, the book of Acts picks up from the death and resurrection of Christ and starts with the birth of the church. The Acts of the Apostles. 
The disciples of Jesus who are now commonly known as the apostles, they've kind of moved on in their status as it were, and they've been effective in continuing to do the things that Jesus began. Remember as it says in the opening chapters, that's what Luke says, I want to talk to you about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Now we see in the lives of the apostles the continuation of the things that Jesus began to do and then go on to teach and will continue to teach throughout the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. These are followers of Jesus. What have they done? If we're talking about the Acts of those who are apostles. Well, they've been organizing meetings, private and public meetings, indoors and, and outdoors. They've been healing or allowing the Lord by his spirit to provide healing. They've been preaching and they've been teaching. Many of you know there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Um, For years of my life as a Christian, I got preached at. And I'm not talking about outside Brixton Station by an evangelist. I mean in church, been preached at. Kind of every week kind of coming out feeling quite burdened by what I wasn't doing, what I should be doing. And, but um, what I lacked was teaching. And teaching is instructional. You know, it's like, well, we have the Bible, but what's really the Bible about? I'm a Christian, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? And um, what we try to, t- try to tend to do is talk a little bit more about what the Lord has done for us in order that we can then come to terms with what we need to go and do for him. And there's a difference. And um, I think that's where kind of teaching comes in and probably has a great deal of priority kind of around here. But you will hear preaching. So these are the things that they were doing. And this is contrasted with the acts of the Sanhedrin, which is the full assembly of the elders of Israel. The Senate, if you like, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, including scribes, who are the ruling council. These are, including the high priest, the 71 most powerful men in Israel at the time. And these two groups, the Sanhedrin and the apostles, they find themselves at odds with one another. They find themselves in opposition to one another. One group are actively communicating a message of hope, A message of peace, a message of love, joy, and peace. Whilst the other group are power hungry. This group have got power, but the power they got, they're given away. This group, they have power and they're doing everything they can to hold on to it. This this group of scribes and Pharisees, as opposed to the other group, are angry, they're jealous, they are hypocritical and violent. One company promotes life, the other company promotes lies. One company has a message, the other company are murderers. We find ourselves in chapter 5 where recently both groups have clashed somewhat. And it has resulted in the imprisonment of the apostles by this ruling council. 
verse 17 of Acts 5 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, it's a bit like parliament, you've got kind of like two main, main groups, kind of like conservative and labor. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it says, this group, they were filled with indignation, as we saw last week. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. Then, during the night, an angel supernaturally releases the apostles from jail. And he directs them to continue to do what they were doing, which was organizing meetings, private and public, again, indoors and outdoors. He, he instructs them to continue preaching and continue teaching. And when the prison guards realize that the prisoners have escaped, kind of like they come back and they've gone because they're out there preaching and teaching, the prison guards report back to the authorities, this ruling council, who command the officers to go and apprehend them again and rearrest the apostles. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. The apostles were enjoying a very successful campaign. The man referred to here is Jesus, the one called Christ who had recently been executed by crucifixion indirectly by the influence of this very council, verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. If anything could be said about the apostles, it would be that at least they are consistent. You, we just keep hearing the same message, at least from Peter who is the spokesperson for the, the baby church, as it were, at this point. If there's anything that you can say about them, they're consistent. And here we have a classic Mexican standoff. You know, a Mexican standoff is like when, you got, when you're going down a road and it's so narrow, you can only get one car through, so you kind of have to get there, you wait and you flash and you let them come through and then you go through or you, or you want to go through and they flash you and you keep going. You're a driver, you know, right? But what happens when they're not going to let you go and they come steaming down the road and they see you and you see them and they're not stopping and you ain't stopping? And you both get to a point where you're both past the point of entry, so now there ain't nowhere for nobody to go. And you're there, they're there. Car horns are beeping behind you because they're saying you're full. You should have just waited because we got places to go. And we could have been going about our business if it weren't for your. So you, you can't move Mexican stand-up. Ultimately, someone's going to have to reverse, right? And it makes you, makes you ask the question, you know, why didn't I just let them go in the first place? 
there's these films where you get two guys, I don't know, they get into, they're kind of chasing each other, and Tutu's there, you know, one's hiding behind, I don't know, some steel drum, and then the other one comes out, and Tutu's there right in front of each other. And they both got a gun in their hand pointed at the other one's head, right? I pull the trigger, he's going to pull the trigger. Mexican standoff. Who's going to put the gun down first? See, they're in deadlock. And that's what we see happening here, verse 33. It says, when they heard this, this is the second group. Because the disciples ain't backing down, it's the same message. That's all we got. So the, so the scribes and the Pharisees respond and says, all right then. So you like ain't backing down. No, we're not backing down. Okay. When they heard this, it says they were furious and plotted to kill them. That is the apostles. If anything can be said about this council, it's one thing talking about the apostles. If anything can be said about this council, it's the same as that which we just said about the apostles, and it is at least they're consistent. It says that they were furious. The word is diaprio in Greek for furious. Diaprio, and it's two words, dia or dia, where we get the first part of diameter, right? You know, the diameter is the middle line or the center line for a circle or a square, the diameter, right? That's the first part of this word, furious, right? Now, the second part of this word is priya, from the Greek word pritzo, and it means to soar in two. Diameter, or, or the middle, or the center, and to soar in two. This word, when put together, literally means to soar something in two to the point where you're aiming for a conclusion, right? Evidently, you're sawing a piece of wood, you want to cut it in half, right? Well, this word, it means to soar and to cut, making your way to the center. Think about a cutting or a sawing action, like a... The King James, which is not the best of translations, but I found that it translated this word the best. The King James says, when they heard this, that is the response of the apostles and the fact that they weren't backing down. When they heard this, it says they were cut to the heart. That's the word furious. They were cut to the heart, and this is a fantastic rendering. And it is a description of what it feels like to be wrong. It's a description of what it feels like to be wrong. You know, in Hebrews 4, that's what the Bible uses to describe the word of God. And it has the ability, I don't know if you heard when I prayed last week, I made reference to God's word being like a chainsaw. And it cuts through in order to make its way to a, a, a particular point. And it's, you know when, you know, let me say, you, you know when you're wrong. 
about something. You know. And it's not just that you know that you're wrong. It's you know you're wrong and the other person is right. And it's not just, okay, somebody, what? They said, what about me? No, no, it's not secondhand like somebody else sharing with you what was said. It's the person in front of you saying it to you. And you know that you're wrong, and you know that they're right, and they've said something that absolutely just silences you. And you have no response. Because you know that they're right. And you stand there, lips trembling, and paralyzed. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. You're paralyzed and, and you're cut to the heart or to the deepest part of your being. I describe it quite graphically because I know what it feels like. That's happened to me in the midst of an argument with maybe my wife and we're going back and forth and then she says something and she nails me. And I know that I'm wrong but I know that also she's right. And she's standing right in front of me looking at me, breathing hard. And now I stand there with nothing to say. I mean, I could firm it, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have listened to that message, Men, on, Men and Marriage, by Mark Driscoll. You know what I mean? If you haven't, I encourage you to listen to it. Mars Hill Church, Mark Driscoll, Men and Marriage. The brother, he deals with some issues relating and regarding men. Heard the message. That was me. I was like this. <laughs> I was cut to the heart. God got to the deepest part of my being. And just like with an individual where you're exposed, but publicly in front of that person and you don't know what to say, you confirm it. Like he says in the message, like some men do. They've been wrestled to the ground, like mentally, ain't got no answer, ain't got nothing to say. So they resort to violence, you know what I'm saying? Or start tearing things up, mashing up the house. Why? Because they've been cut to the heart. Now, what's the proper response? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it's that place where God exposes the pride. Again, getting back to our text, these men are in that place where they're furious. They've been cut to the heart. But these men, not only are they furious, but they're foolhardy. And they're mindless murderers. We have to remember what happens when an individual like that is cut to the heart. But as we saw last week, most of the group respond how they always respond. But there's always one. There's always one who doesn't follow the crowd. And it was the powerful preaching of Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that finally penetrated the hard heart of one man. Jeremiah chapter 23, don't turn there, verse 29. This is really short. By the time you get there, I'd have read it and moved on. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, it says, 
the Lord speaking, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. This man's heart is real hard. The, the group of men, their hearts are real hard. And Peter, as we've been seeing, has been just hurling the gospel or been swinging that mallet. And at last, it's beginning to take its effect. I mean, it's a good thing to expose yourself to the word of God. Now, the question I have to ask at this point is, what condition is your heart in this afternoon? What is your response or even your lack of response to God and to his word? Are you quiet when you should speak? Or do you speak when you should be quiet? How do you respond? Do you stand up when you should sit down? And do you sit down when you should stand up? Verse 34 says, Then one of the council stood up. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Gamaliel. This is the same Gamaliel that instructed Saul of Tarsus, who then went on to become Paul the Apostle. Gamaliel is a member of, as I said, the Sanhedrin Council, one of the 70, and he is a teacher, the text says, of the law. He's respected by all the people. He's one with authority to command the officers in this court command the officers to have the prisoners removed from the chamber. He's a Pharisee as opposed to being the other group, which are Sadducees. And as a Pharisee is one who believes in, as opposed to the Pharisees, remember what the Pharisees don't believe in, right? Well, he's a Pharisee, and he believes in miracles. He believes in the resurrection. And he believes in angels. Right? Could it be that he was influenced by the angelic involvement during the prison break? I mean, you would have had to have been with us for the past few weeks to appreciate that last point. Well, the way the high priest addresses the apostles in verse 28, if you consider or can even look back at verse 28, was in reality an admission of weakness. This outburst when he has his heart pierced, his outburst is really an admission of weakness. You know, you're at that place, I suppose, like I was last week, and you say something that you shouldn't say. Well, that's what he did. And his uncontrolled outburst was indicative of the failure of the council. The fact that they were inept. This quote-unquote powerful council weren't so powerful. And they did all that they could to stop the apostles to no avail. The court has proven its powerlessness in relation to the purpose of God. And this one recognizes that and he stands up 
And he says, you know what, wait a minute. Wait a minute, this is getting way out of hand. Maybe it was reminiscent for him of the time when they had Jesus standing before them and they determined to have him crucified. And they took him to Pilate at what, four or five o'clock in the morning in order to have this man executed because they couldn't do it because they were under Roman rule and authority, right? Maybe he was like, you know what, this smacks too much of what happened a month or so ago. And I remember the drama that I had like, had to take sleeping tablets because I couldn't sleep. Maybe this is reminiscent of that, of that time for this man, Gamaliel. And he stands up and he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while. And Gamaliel brings some semblance of dignity. It's like, calm down, talking about you want to kill them, talking about you're, look, let's calm down. He brings some semblance of dignity back to the proceedings and restores order. And after the prisoners are decently and respectfully removed, now with the ability to confer properly in private, he proceeds to restrain their anger and give the the council caution. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, hear him pleading. Men of Israel, come on, we're all family out here. Even these individuals that we're dealing with are family. We're one nation. We all call Abraham our father. Men of Israel. Not even men of Israel, leaders of Israel. Come on now. Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do, what you intend to do regarding these men. And Gamaliel will now provide proof from history with regarding two individuals, two examples, one man called Theudas and another man called who? Judas. Verse 36. For some time ago, says Gamaliel, Theudas rose up. Remember? Claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big crew, right? 400 men joined him, but he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. And do you remember that after this, another, another brother rose up, Judas, who came, who, who came from the same place, that these men who are before us came from, come from up north. <laughs> Just restrain myself. I nearly made another comment there, you know. Look, <laughs> up north. Judas of Galilee, he rose up. Remember in the days of the census, like most people would do. And how many of you remember the poll tax? I ain't talking about council, I'm talking about poll tax. Maggie, where she caused all that drama. Well, they rose, this brother Judas rose up at that time and drew away many people after him. Many. He also eventually ended up perishing and all who obeyed him, same way they were dispersed. Gamaliel thus sketches two parallel occurrences. Both men appeared. Okay, ooh, we've got a situation here, fellas, Right? Both men appeared, they 
advanced claims. I think one of them, historically speaking, based on the writings of Josephus, who was a historian, right? He wasn't a Christian. Josephus, apparently, they say that Thudas, the second brother, Judas, the second guy, he said to everybody, you know what? Bun this Roman occupation. We ain't paying no more taxes to Rome. And everybody said, yeah! Apparently, that's what happened. <clears throat> he advanced a claim and bare people backed him. He won a following, says Gamaliel, as he pleads with the council. But what happened in the end? Each one of them was killed and their followers were scattered. Hey, we got another group, apparently. But you must just jam in it. You want to take matters in your, into your own hands? Just, I mean, you thought that you had gotten rid of the individual that they associate with. But look, the problem ain't gone away, has it? Hey. And like you said a minute ago, high priest, they're trying to bring blood on your hands. The blood's already on your hands, blood. Right? So, let's learn. They say you never... They say the only thing you learn from history is the fact that you don't learn anything from history. Hey, Natalie. Right? He'd be like, look, let's just calm down. If we don't do anything, hopefully the situation, like those others, might just go away. And we can just cover this whole madness up and just get on with what we normally do. Verse 38, and now I say to you, keep away from these men, let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you, you can't overthrow it. I mean, who do we think we are? If it is of God, we can't overthrow it, lest... We who are supposed to be representing God, supposed to be speaking on the behalf of God. We who know the law of God. Lest we be even found to be fighting against God. Just a few quick points. Up until now, it could seem that Gamaliel is on point and he's tracking right. Gamaliel looked like he's tracking straight. You'd be like, hey, go on, Gamaliel. Maybe, they say, you know, when you're in class, right, I work in a secondary school, so anytime someone asks a question, like they put their hand up kind of sheepishly, um, so I didn't really get that. They say when one, person's asked, when one person asks a question, there's five others who are thinking the same thing. Oh, I'm glad he asked that question because I was thinking the same thing, but I felt too embarrassed to put my hand up. They say the only wrong question is the one that you don't ask. So I wonder if there's other people in the, in, in, in the council who be like, yeah, you're right, you know. After they walk out, they're like, boy, Gamaliel, big up, man. Because you've got courage, you know. Because I couldn't have said that in there. I was like, boy. But I was thinking the same thing. Amen to, amen to that, bruv. I don't know. That's speculation on my part, right? But you might get the impression Gamaliel's heavy. Even to the point where you might even think that he's on the verge of being converted. 
And I'm sitting there listening to Peter be like, oh, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. Mm-mm, you're right. Psalm 22, Whew. Jesus, when he stood up, when he was on the cross, what, what was the first thing that he said? He said, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Direct quote from Psalm 22. And you read Psalm 22, it's Psalm 22 where it talks about the fact that he was thirsty. It was Psalm 22 where it says, they took my robes and my garments and they, and they gambled for them. Like the dice on my man's hat. Roll dice for my man's garments. Psalm 22. It's Psalm 22 where it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And that was mentioned and quoted a thousand years before crucifixion was, even, was ever invented. It was like, oh. Gamaliel was like, oh, man. So when Jesus quoted Psalm 22 from the cross, he was making reference to, to all that was, but wait a minute. That's a, mess- that's a messianic psalm. That's talking about the, mess- the Messiah. I don't know. Maybe Gamaliel is having these thoughts. And you'd be like, man, Gamaliel's on the brink of... Let's pr- oh, I was going to say Peter and John would have heard it. and said, boy, we need to pray for that brother. But they weren't in the room, right? They'd taken him out. Well, we have to be careful as we scrutinize what Gamaliel says. Because what he says isn't necessarily true. The plans of men sometimes do have substantial and long-term effects. He's making out like, you know, if this ain't of God really, it's not going to come to anything. Excuse me. How about Islam? How about 14, nearly 1400, it was 670 AD when it was, how about 1400 years of one of the largest, is it, it's, the, it's the second most powerful religion on the planet. And building and growing. How about other religions? You know, too many to name. How about closer to home? How about Mormonism? You know what I mean? Very, very popular. Millions of adherents across the globe. How about the Watchtower and Bible and Tract Society? Just before I became a Christian, I nearly became a Jehovah's Witness. I was sitting there like after six months of them coming around to my house. I told you the story, right? So I don't have to go into it. And he's like, Robert, you really thinking of becoming a Jehovah's Witness? I'd be like, yeah, you know, they know what they're talking about, and they know the Bible. This close. Thank God, ma. Someone invited my wife to church, who, invited, who then invited me to church, and I got saved. The Lord snatched me. Yo, that one was, that one was close. organizations that are not necessarily of God, but very, very effective, and consistently so. So, hey, Gamaliel, there's something going on in your heart, but you ain't really there yet. You ain't really you ain't ready yet, right? <clears throat> Verse 40 says, at this point... His speech persuaded them. 
And it says, verse 40, And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. They'd be like, all right, bring them in here. And they all look. Look, a little while ago, <laughs> they bring the disciples in, right? And they all look serious. They all look, yeah, official. A minute ago, they was leaning over the thing, right? Saying, bro, Gamaliel, you're right, you know, bro. Gamaliel's there, yeah. You lot need to listen. And they're like, yeah, boy. Now, I suspect you had some hard rocks in there. They'd be like, I don't business, do away with these men. Right? You know? <laughs> but wh whoever they were, however they were, five minutes ago, they bring the apostles back in and they're all official. You can't tell who's who now, right? Everyone's official again. And they call for them. And they determine that they have them beaten. Right? Now you look. We've made our judgment. And we're unified. Amen? Amen. Everybody, right? We're unified. Right. Now, you look, listen. We're going to spare you this time. Uh, listen. You know, you know them? <laughs> you know, sometimes you might get in a fight, right? And you've got that person. They know that they can beat you up. Or you know you can beat them up. And you would be like, you know what? I'm going to allow you this time still. I'm going to give you a life this time. One of them old school statements. Remember, I'll give you a life. I'm going to allow you. Because you don't know that I could bang you up, but I'm going to allow you. That's what they say to the to apostles. Oh, but actually, they, they do bang them up, right? But they don't do what they said they were going to do five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, fifteen minutes ago. We assume at this point that the apostles received the flogging. Forty minus one. 39 lashes. They, they then ordered, they ordered them for the second time now not to speak in the name of or on behalf of Jesus, the one called Christ. Now, you have to stand and just absorb for a moment the apostles' reaction. The apostles' reaction arouses admiration. You'd be like, you know when you're right and you know that they're wrong? You know the whole thing? Don't do that because if you do that, that's going to happen. Yeah, no, 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 man, it's safe, man. I got it. Don't watch that. And they go and they come back. And what you told them was going to happen, happened. And now they come back. They can't even look in your eyes, right? You're like, and, and, and everything in you. Wants to say to them, what? <laughs> I told you so. But you don't say that. You just hold it back. You don't say that. But it's true. You know it, and they know it. And these disciples, it's like, I'm amazed at their response. Because they could have been like, you're going to what? When they come back in the council. You're going to what? What? You're going to allow us? You're going to allow us after we never done nothing wrong. Wait a minute. <clears throat> but they didn't. They did the complete opposite. 
What, you're going to beat us? Oh, what, you're going to let us off with a beating? Like, how does that work? How does... We ain't done nothing wrong. Check it. Because if we had you, to put us back in prison. But now you want to come and beat us when you blatantly know that we're not guilty. How, you, you tell me. He might have even looked over in Gamaliel's corner. Like, hey, how does that work? How does that work, fam? But they don't, they don't respond like that. They don't respond like that. And it says, verse 41, that they departed from the presence of the council without any fuss, without any kicking and screaming. They depart from the presence of the council. Re- Wait a minute, that, that, that don't say that. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. This morning we're talking about, this afternoon we're talking about the honor of being dishonored. They left the courts of justice or injustice, as the case may be, right? Not just, not just not complaining. I mean, that would have been something if they'd just gone out and took a beating for something they'd never done. And they didn't say anything. That would be, you'd be like, hey, forget Gamaliel, you look a, he- you look a heavy. If they had just left without saying anything. But rejoicing. You know, you know, people talk about the fact that the Bible's got um, contradictions. They ain't, it ain't got no contradictions. But for me, I would look and I'd say, hey, no, that ain't right. There must be a misprint here. With their backs lacerated and bleeding. The honor to be dishonored. The grace... To be disgraced. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and then one more verse and we're, and we're, and we're done. Hey, 45 minutes. Ouch. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I love this verse. I mean, I love it and I hate it. Or I love to hate it, but yeah. Verse 12, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, he starts off with, so you know who he's talking to, right? (laughs) Beloved, he's talking to believers. He says, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing has happened to you. But he says, but do what? Rejoice. And who's writing this? It's first Peter. It's the, it's the very same man that took the flogging. He says, you know what, fam? Don't, don't think it's strange when you... But you know what? I should have never... I know. But uh, complaining is one thing. You need to hold that down. But even once you've just held it down, you still ain't there yet. You still ain't ready. You need to get to the point where in the face of that, 
you can rejoice. Now, how often do you see that picture painted? How often do you see that in the life of believers? God help us. It says in James chapter 1 that we're supposed to count this difficult stuff, what? All joy. (laughs) Another misprint, right? Those are the ones that they don't point out. Wow. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed. How many of you know this takes faith? And it takes faith of an individual who can see past the difficulty, whatever it might be, whether it's self-inflicted or it's externally inflicted, whether it's your fault or the fault of somebody else. It takes faith to see past it. Like Jesus, it says, when he went to the cross, he was able to endure it. You know why? Because of the joy that was set before him. You need vision. As a belie- if, if you're a believer and you ain't got no vision, you're going to struggle. Standard. If you're a believer, you need vision. You need vision beyond your present circumstances. And I know that there are a multitude of individuals in here today that are in difficult situations. Be encouraged. See past the time of difficulty. See past the storm. Remember the disciples on the boat and the storm? All right, I haven't got time. It says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's in them times you don't think that God is even with you. Yet, look, the spirit of, of glory rests upon you. On their part, he that is Christ is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. They... In fact, we're doing what their master had commanded them to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew 5. I did say two verses, right? Matthew 5. We're going to read three verses from verse 10. They're only now doing what their master had commanded them to do. And it's so beautiful when you see believers, like we said last week, acting like believers. It's powerful. It's powerful. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Not when they do something wrong. Peter says in his book, doesn't he? When you do something wrong and you get a beating for it and you take it patiently. Well, you're supposed to because you did wrong. So here's your beating. Take it and and be quiet. Right? But when you ain't, what happens when you haven't done anything wrong? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven if you're persecuted in that sense. 
Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kind of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward then. You may not get it right now, but then great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are bawling now. The prophets are, hey, the prophets are enjoying life right now. Who were before you. Moreover, the apostles don't stop being heavy at that point. Our last verse they again boldly defied the court's prohibition. Verse 42, and daily, these brothers have got, they've got, the book of Acts talks about boldness. These guys got boldness. Daily in, not over some outskirts like Bethel, which was like 10, 15 miles away, or cross the Jordan, you know what I'm saying, or run back up to Galilee, through Samaria, go hold down their Christianity in, in quiet. Where did they do it? In the temple, where Satan's seat is. How many of you know that's where we need to be, what God desires for us to be? Not in hiding. We talked last week about Christians who are secret agents. Again, so secret that they don't even know that they're secret agents. Boldly, daily in the temple. And check it. Two places they do it. In the temple and where else? And in every house. What you see there is our model for the way we practice our Christianity. Here, today, quote unquote, in the temple. Where there's enough of us. Hundreds, hopefully thousands of us. Gathering in the temple. But then also in small groups. House to house. That's the pattern for our fellowship over the course of the week. It says they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Hollering at those that didn't know him. Encouraging and beckoning them to come. And then when they do come, sit down. Let me tell you about what Jesus done for you. And as you sit at his feet, like Mary did at the feet of Jesus, not like Martha... Trying to serve Jesus, do things that he never asked her. To. I never asked you to whip up a dinner for me. Actually, I'm here whipping up dinner for you. Come and sit down, Martha. Chat back. I must tell Mary to get up. You come and sit down. In order that you might be instructed so that then you can go on to go and do something. Amen? This goes... A long way in answering the question with regards to our civil responsibilities. To be sure, Christians are called to be conscientious citizens and generally speaking, to submit to human authorities. But if the authority concerned misuses its God-given power to command what he forbids or forbids what he commands then the Christian's duty is to disobey the human authority in order to obey God's authority. 
Is there anything today that you've heard that will cause you, like Gamaliel, to stand up? Stand up, I say, and resist the status quo. Next week, we'll pick up in Acts chapter 6. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, so often the world says, I can't hear what you're saying, Christian, because you know what? All Christians are hypocrites. That's what the world says so often, Lord. And even in the church, Lord, we end up having to say, you know, I'm leaving this church because this church is full of hypocrites. I'm leaving. And Lord, very often it's true. The world sees it, and Lord, those of us who are in the church, we see it too. Furthermore, Lord, we see it in ourselves, that hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to be good witnesses. Witnesses who testify in word as well as deed, or should I say, Father, in deed as well as word. Many, Father, confess you with their lips, but their hearts are far from you. Let that not be said of us, Lord. Pray that you take your word and affect our hearts today. Your word is powerful, Lord, sharper than any two-edged sword, like a saw, piercing, dividing asunder, soul and spirit, and gets right down in between the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, you know what's in our hearts. And as you expose our hearts with your word, Lord, all of us, I pray that you'd help us to respond in righteousness. And Father, that you'd help us just to be who we are. It's not even like we're fronting, Father. It's, it's just being your kids. It's being who you've made us to be. I pray that you'd help us. Let today be another piece in the puzzle. Lord, let today be another electrical connection that causes change in our lives, Lord, in order that we might reflect you like the moon reflects the sun, that you would help us to do the same. We need your help, Father. We need your spirit to work in our lives because we're so incapable, we're so weak. And if it were down to us, we'd respond just like the scribes and the Pharisees in our pride and arrogance when we need to back down and we need to humble ourselves because even as I, I sense this week, Lord, you resist the proud and the arrogant. You oppose us, Lord, when we act like that. You oppose me when I act like that. But Father, the scripture goes on to say that you give grace to the humble. And so here we are at your throne of grace, seeking that you might provide us with that which we need, Father. Help us, I pray. For Jesus' sake.